Fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you here on this Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. You're a Golden Knights fan. You had a fantastic weekend, didn't you? Not one, but two victories coming your way Friday night at the Fortress and then Again, last night, as the Golden Knights take games three and four, we will break it all down for you. Yes, we have a series. The Colorado Avalanche came in here with a 2 nothing lead. The Vegas Golden Knights have tied it up two apiece, second round of the NHL playoffs. T.C. Martin, VGK Frank in the house with you today on this Monday. Plus, we'll talk some NBA playoffs. B.J. Armstrong will join us. We'll talk to B.J. regarding the Clippers. Being the first team in that series to win a home game, they advance on, and we are on to the second round of the NBA playoffs as well. Marco D'Angelo, he will join us. We'll recap a pretty exciting Belmont Stakes on Saturday afternoon, plus talk some more handicapping with Marco as well, too. So, jam-packed show coming your way for you today. Plenty to do, plenty to talk about. Of course, T.C. Martin Show, Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. with you right here. Ballpark VGK Frank, what is going on, my friend? A busy weekend, and uh, it seemed like uh, we were we were living at the Fortress for a good portion uh, of the weekend as well, too. Glad we had uh, an off day in between, but uh, Friday night, pretty exciting, and last night, just as exciting, pretty electric with the 18,000 fans there. Yeah, it was absolutely crazy. Um, I kind of forgot that... Uh you know, maybe you should bring some earplugs or something like that like you're going to a concert because it is incredibly loud in there, and the crowd was into it right from the start. Uh, the Go Knights Go chant, uh, they didn't even necessarily need the uh, the you know the, the entertainment crew and that to get them ready to go. They were raring to go. And, boy, once Marshall Show got that hat trick yesterday, the place absolutely erupted. And I'm not sure what Colorado's going to do at this point because, and we talked about this, and I know we're going to dive into a little bit deeper, but game one was basically a throwaway game. You had a best-of-seven series where basically they gave Colorado one game. And since that game, Colorado's been outplayed. They could have easily lost game two. Vegas found a way to win game three, and then they just dominated them last night. But in all reality, they've dominated. They've, I don't want to say dominated, but they've certainly outplayed them the last three games. I believe they've outshot them 119 to 63 in the three games. Vegas is firing on all cylinders. Pacioretty back in the lineup makes that top line incredible, not just offensively, but they've been shutting down the top line for Colorado. And some people think the top line in the NHL with that line. And now with the second line rolling, they don't even need contributions from the third line, the third and fourth line. Just don't screw up. And Marc-Andre Fleury's feeling his oats again and having a good time back there. For the first time last night, I looked at this Vegas team and thought to myself, these guys legitimately could be hoisting the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And again, this is one of those things, and we talked about it, game one was the giveaway game, and the Knights did it to themselves because they couldn't put away the Minnesota Wild. They had a 3-1 lead. They couldn't put them away. So they elongated that series, and that came back to bite them in, in, in game one. If they do lose this in a, in a seven-game series, they're going to look back at that game one and say, hey, that was a pathetic performance. But basically what you had here is that Vegas had their blowout game last night. Colorado had their blowout game in game number one. And then the, the other two games were, I mean, nip and tuck, very, very close. Could have gone either way. I mean... You know, uh, we, we got a shot off the back of, of of a goalie for a goal. You know, we've got some, which is yeah. which is something a lot of teams do now. And because I know I've heard some people, well, there saying, was an art to it. Oh, there's uh, definitely yeah, an art yeah, to it. Because because yeah. I heard some people, and even a couple of our media friends, was oh, that was kind of a lucky shot. That was totally not lucky. Marshall Show saw Grubauer off his post 
and he threw it off the backside of him. I actually think it hit his elbow. Some people think it hit his butt. It doesn't matter what it hit because it went in the back of the net. But a goaltender in today's game has got to be cognizant of the fact that if they are not hugging that post, Someone's firing it off their backside. Well, it's no different than what we see in basketball, whether it's the NBA call on the inbounds underneath Absolutely. your own hoop. Yeah. You know, if you're gonna, you know, play your back to the the inbounder, then you you deserve that. Now, goes way back to your old days as a promoter. You don't turn your back on somebody. You're going to get hit with a steel chair. Well, <laughs> this time you get hit with a puck in the back of the head or something. But you know, no, you you can't do it today. And again, it, it was a it was a kind of freaky play that Marcia so went down. He made the initial save. But he was way too far off the post. And I know it's easy for us sitting up there complaining about the food in the media section or something like that. But, you know, as we're just sitting there watching the game. But you see enough hockey today. That is a planned play by players. If the goalie's on the post, they try to do a centering pass and hope somebody's in front. If he's off the post and he gives you that option, you try to bank it off him. We see it all the time. And Marshall did a great job. And once he gets rolling... He's such a energetic player that plays on so much emotion. He's absolutely in fuego right now. Are you talking about those gambling members of, of the media who had the over last night? I'm just talking about people in general that um you know that you know but but no I mean it's it, it, again and and is there a little bit of luck? It's it's, it's a little bit of luck that you hit him sure. in the right spot and it does yeah. bounce in. But it's a planned play. Make no mistake about it. All right, so a, a lot to to hit on there, and let's let's start with. I want to pick this up because I was listening to our good friend Brian Blessing, who precedes us here, and you know he was talking about the arena atmosphere with people that are not so familiar, you know, with T-Mobile Arena and the Golden Knights and and fans or media members who come from out of town, and la- the last two games, Colorado. Got a even though they've played in this arena before. I mean, it's been over a year plus since they played in front of a crowd like that, especially meaningful hockey in a postseason. But the crowds in Colorado are half the size of what we've had in Vegas for games three and four. And that crowd, even though half the size, they're not even close to being as electric as what we saw there. And you know, Vegas does have this reputation of being a wild, raucous place and a dangerous place to play for visiting teams. But it's just the way this atmosphere is where you call it a nightclub, you call it a, a, a concert venue and that sort of thing. And there's actually all, a nightclub up top of, of course, the place, of course, which, which you frequent very, very often, <laughs> my friend, too. There you go. You, you've got all the in, inside tips there. I like that. Uh, but again, it is different. And when you are, you know, you can tense up and you can freeze. And I know these guys are professional athletes, but we see it all the time. And I saw the atmosphere get to the Colorado Avalanche in games three and four. And last night, once they got hit over the head with that, and the base was pumping and the Golden Knights were scoring, I mean, it, it was done. I just, after the Golden Knights tied it up, and Colorado got the first goal, Golden Knights tied it up, and then when the Golden Knights got their second goal, I don't know about you, I just had that feeling that this game is over. And then when the third goal came, it was definitely over. Oh, it was 100%. Yeah, and, and you know when it was really over? was when Barakovsky, and I still don't know what the hell he was doing, when he did that horse-collar tackle, and and, and then gave them that power play, which they scored on. I saw him do that, and I thought, Colorado has completely lost their mind. They're not only not playing their hockey hockey offensively, and Grubauer's a little bit suspect right now, he's not playing like a Vesna Trophy finalist. Not that he's been bad, but he hasn't been great, and at this time of the season, you need to be great. But when a guy like Barakovsky does that, and then I remember looking and talking to a couple of people, and I said, they score on this, and this thing is 100% over. And then the crowd went wild, and I'll give you some old uh, Wisconsin pleasant thoughts again. They had the deer-in-the-headlight look. <laughs> That's better than any cow-tipping reference, I'll tell you that. So, But the Golden Knights, again, they played inspired. They played physical. They played fast. They really played fast, and they were a, a step much faster than Colorado, probably, but definitely last night, definitely last night. And I don't know how you felt, but when I was driving to the arena last night, I was trying to make a case of like, okay, what are we going to see tonight? And when we did the show on Friday, we both felt like, okay, this is, this is the Golden Knights game. Their backs against the wall. They're a good enough team and they've displayed it all season long. 
and they've displayed in past postseason well too that you know hey they can they can deliver the, this type of a situation and they did that on Friday it was scary but you know the way they got the two goals in the final five minutes I mean that really propelled them but I just had the feeling when I was driving to the arena that this series is going to be tied up at two two. I just had that series, and I wanted to make the case for Colorado, and I actually was thinking the Grubauer was playing better than Fleury, and you talk about that top line, I go, McKinnon and those guys, they are not going to have that quiet of a game in back-to-back games, and I was trying to think, when was the last time I've seen Colorado lose back-to-back games? Really couldn't remember. You have to go far back. So I was thinking, you know, this is going to be one heck of a game. It's going to probably come down to, to overtime, and I thought to myself when I was driving in, this is going to be a long night, you know, because we had the early start to 530. Right. I just had this vision of being one of those overtime, double overtime, maybe even a triple overtime night. And we've seen that before in hockey, like these Sunday night games, they, they last for a long time. But what happened was Colorado got that first goal. I go, wow, this is my thinking. Colorado's ready to fire. After that, they were quiet. And like you said, they've got nothing out of that top line. And when they're not getting anything out of those guys – I don't know what to expect from here on. And they not only don't have anything out of them, but it's the way that they... It, it's not like they're not trying out there. Okay. They've been silenced. Mm-hmm. Vegas has out-checked them. The top line... And, and this is the thing when people talk about injuries a lot of times. You think about a player not being for a team. And when Pacioretty was out and the offense was certainly hurting and struggling a lot more for Vegas, it's not just that Pacioretty was out. One of your guys on the top line was out, which changes everything else from the domino theory of somebody else coming up there and then that guy that's on the top line now not being in his regular position. With Pacioretty back in the lineup, the top line with Stone, Pacioretty, and Stevenson is all one cohesive unit again. That means that also the Carlson, Smith, and Marshall's line isn't facing the other team's best line out there necessarily. So now they're facing a line that isn't as good checking and doing the other things out there. So everything falls in place, and then you add the home ice, and that is a little bit of a thing there when you have the last change. Everything falls in place. Pacioretty's back in that lineup has allowed the second line to absolutely excel. And then the third and fourth lines, as long as they're not hurting you, they don't have to contribute that much offensively, and that's what's happening. Then last night you put in a guy like Braden McNabb, and he's back in the lineup, and his presence was out there. Um, it, it, things are really just falling into place right now. And I want to throw this in, too. Reeves was out there, and I don't think Reeves played a bad game. Mm-hmm. I think they'd have won with or without Reeves last night yeah. because of the way that they played. But I don't think enough people, and I'm probably guilty of this a little bit myself because I thought Colorado was going to win this series. Now, they certainly still could. They have two out of the next three games on home ice. But I said last night before the game, if Vegas wins this thing, I think they're going to win this series. I don't think enough people put in the value of Nazem Kadri not being there for Colorado. He's their tough guy. He's also a skilled player. He can score goals. I think they're missing him a lot. The best thing that happened to Vegas in the first round, yeah, it hurt them and they lost the game in this series because they had to go seven with Minnesota. You could certainly make that argument. But Colorado sweeping St. Louis meant that Nazem Kadri wasn't going to be available till at the earliest in Game 7 of this series. It, what, what, what if they would have gone six games and all of a sudden Kadri's in this next game? That changes the dynamic for the avalanche. But it doesn't matter because that didn't happen. He's not going to hit the ice unless there's a Game 7. The way Colorado's playing right now, the way Vegas is playing right now, we might not see a Game 7. See, I, I think it is. I, I think it, you will see a Game 7, and this is playing out kind of how we thought it would because this is a home ice series right now. Okay, Both teams have won on their home ice. Okay, They both had their blowout games, and then you had, like I said, you know, Games 2 and 3, very highly contested, could have gone either way. I fully expect Colorado to show up big time tomorrow night in Game 5, and I expect Colorado to win that game. To, to see a team like Colorado, as talented as they are, and, and I'll say depth, they've got depth, and a guy who is as good as Grubauer, I do not see them losing three games in a row. Now, the Golden Knights have all the momentum in the world, but what I fully expect to see is Colorado win game five, the Golden Knights bounce back, back against the wall to win game six, and then game seven back in Colorado. It's a coin flip at that point in time. That's the way I see it unfolding. But then again, it, it, it's crazy. You just don't know with this because you do have two 
teams that are very, very similar with each other. They play very similar. And uh, Colorado will make some adjustments, and they will have that home ice, and I think it does mean something. We've seen it. Four for four, home ice means something in this series. What a difference from the last series. Totally. Where, where, where totally. the home team was losing all over the place. Totally. Now, now the home team wins. And I agree with you. I mean, Colorado, I, I think they're going to be a favorite. I, I, I will. wouldn't bet against They'll them. be a marginal favorite. But I'll tell you what, I yeah. wouldn't bet on them right now either because I wouldn't bet against Vegas. I'm going to sit back and watch this game because I'll be honest, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I actually think Vegas has a great chance of winning this thing, you know, and, and I think they have a good chance. They know right now that their goal, if you want, is the same that it was at the start of this series, win one game on the road and yep. take care of business at home. And even if they lose tomorrow, I think Vegas is still going to be very confident. But if they win and they bring it back here, well, all I can say is, if Colorado wants to win this series and go on to play what looks like it's going to be Montreal, yeah. uh, they better win tomorrow night. Yeah. Well, I mean, Game 5, we know ultra important. Not the only in hockey. Game 5. Yeah, NBA as well, too. Very, very pivotal. Okay. So, uh, the goals. Last night, uh, phenomenal. We talked about Colorado jumping ahead. Uh, they scored less than two minutes into the game, and they woke up the Golden Knights. But the Golden Knights, uh, they responded back, and it was the first of Jonathan Marchessault's first goal. That's supposed to be some audio that we're supposed to be playing there. So uh, do you want to give it another shot here? Should we reset it again here? Okay. Uh, Marchessault scores to tie it at one. I guess not. Okay. So anyway. Trust me. T-Mobile, the fortress, was much louder than that yeah. last night. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Marchessault. Hat trick last night. Uh, just any time that you could be at a game and see someone get a hat trick, uh, especially uh, you know the, the home team get it, and, and it's the second, and it's the second for Vegas in this playoff series. Because yes. remember, Yanmark had one in the other game, yes. and there's a guy that's not in for Vegas right now, and they're mm. still playing as well as they are. All right, take three. Uh, audio difficulties. <laughs> uh, we, we'll see. Marshall lights a lamp for the Golden Knights' first goal. All right, Sherwood on Smith. Golden Knights clear the puck out. Nemeth back behind his own goal. Pressure by Marshall. Gets it away to Smith. He scores! Whoa! The Golden Knights celebrate, and now they score! All right, so a little confusion there. Uh, Colorado kind of stopped playing for a little bit, didn't know what was happening. Well, they thought Riley Smith's goal that hit the crossbar right. originally went in because Grubauer turned around and he wasn't sure. They froze but, for a yeah, little bit, yeah. And they definitely yeah. froze, which is cardinal mistake, sin, whatever you want to call it, number one. You play to the whistle. The light didn't go on. Yeah, Riley Smith beat Grubauer, but it hit the crossbar. And that and Vegas kept on buzzing around like, you know, like, okay, we haven't seen the light yet. We're going to keep on playing. By Colorado stopping like that, all of a sudden they had chance after chance after chance. And I guess it's appropriate since he had a hat trick that we took three attempts to get that first goal in the net. <laughs> kind of like Vegas did on that play. There you go. <laughs> well put, my friend. There you go. So uh, we're, we go to the end of the period, uh, tied at 1-1, still very intense, and you still had the feeling, at least I did, that uh, okay, Colorado wasn't going to be done scoring, and, and that wasn't the case. But Max Pacioretty showed up and uh, turned the tide for Vegas in the second period. That's something that does not appear to be the case tonight. Dropped by Gerard, was blocked by White Cloud, three on two for the Golden Knights. Here's Pastorelli for the circle of shot, he scores! Pastorelli's goal, uh, just a phenomenal uh, you know, you know, goal from distance as well to top of the uh, the circle. There, it was a fantastic goal. The momentum shifted at that point in time. It was like, wow, uh, we're about to see something special from these Golden Knights. At that point, I thought Colorado was in a lot of trouble for one main reason, and I'm. Not, it was a great shot. He put it right where it had to be. But Grubauer in a playoff game. At this stage, against the two arguably best teams in the NHL, you've got to get out and cut down that angle. He never should have had any net to shoot at. Right. He should have either had to shoot it into Grubauer or hit a post or hit it wide. It was a great shot, but it was a goal because Grubauer allowed him a shooting area. That's the kind of stuff that Flurry and even Grubauer, when he's on his best in that and the top goalies in the league, 
you don't score on that play because you're either going to hit the goaltender or you're going to shoot it wide because there's nothing to shoot at. He gave him just a piece, but he put it through the keyhole because it was a great shot by Pacioretty. But at that point, I thought to myself, Grubauer's not 100% on his top game. That could cost this team. And that's what uh, led to Vegas' first goal as well, too. I mean, basically the giveaway in Colorado making mistakes. And again, a little too careless with the puck. A little too cute. And I know that you've noticed that uh, about them quite a bit. It was driving me crazy. They're, they're, they're going down the ice, and I think it was... Uh, uh, McKinnon, who had the puck, and he drops it between his legs. He It was a turnover. He dropped it right to the Golden Knights player. McKinnon came down the wing on one, and he passed it. Instead of shooting, he tried to pass it th- through two guys. They're a good team, and they can do that kind of stuff against the Kings and the Ducks and the Sharks and the garbage in the – well, it wasn't Pacific Division this year, but whatever they want to call <laughs> this division this year. But – um. But you can't do that at this time of the year. You've got to play straight up, you know, keep it simple, stupid hockey sometimes. If McKinnon shoots some of those, he's got a shot, and maybe Flurry swallows it up, but maybe there's a rebound or something. But when you just turn it over or throw it in the corner, you're not giving yourself an opportunity. That's one of the reasons that Vegas is, get, is out shooting them in all these games because Colorado's beating themselves. All right, Jonathan Marshall had a night, and uh, here we go in the second period. This is when you just had the feeling this thing's over. Skip back to Petrangelo, and then across for a shot saved by Grubauer on Marshall. Marshall to Petrangelo, back for Marshall. That happened uh, six minutes uh, into the, uh, actually uh, ten minutes into the second period, and then the Golden Knights led three to one. They went to the third period with the Golden Knights holding a two-goal lead, and then Marshall did it again for the hat trick, the celebration, and it was good night, Colorado. Riley Smith on the feed from Carlson, kicked out by Grubauer. Carlson keeps it alive for Smith, looking for Marshall show in front. Now Carlson cuts, That was 4-1. They added one to make it 5-1. But just uh, being in the building when a hat trick happens for the home team like that, especially a guy like Marshall, who's had a fantastic postseason, uh, phenomenal yesterday. Yeah, and, and also I want to throw this in too because I know a lot of people have thrown a lot of shade at Petrangelo this season. He's not worth the money. Why did we get him? Why didn't we get more scores? We could have got two goal scores for what we're paying him. He's obviously been hurt for a good part of the season. He's playing his best hockey of the season right now when he's supposed to be. That pass to Marshall was a nice pass. It was just past an an outstretched uh, stick. It was right where it needed to be for him to get the second one. And then the pass from Riley Smith when Marshall went around the net, just wide open all alone. Grubauer had no chance on that one whatsoever. This team is clicking, but Petrangelo is playing a lot better than he was before. And maybe now you people are starting to realize why they gave him the contract and the money and everything else. I'm not saying you have to love him. But, you know, it, it's easy for everybody to rip somebody apart in that, not mm-hmm. knowing all the things. These guys play through a lot of different injuries and pain and that kind of stuff that sometimes we never find out about or sometimes we do at the end of the season. Oh, yeah? You go, wow, uh, he, had, he immediately had to go to get surgery or something like yeah. this. Uh, again, Petrangelo is now starting to live up to what they needed mm-hmm. to. And, again, with McNabb back and everything else, mm-hmm. this is a formidable mm-hmm. hockey team right now. Maybe maybe the best team in the NHL. Right. We'll see. They definitely took it to Colorado in these two games, Friday and Sunday at T-Mobile. They outshot them again 35-18, to 18, and the Golden Knights have done that in games 2, 3, and 4. We will see what happens uh, tomorrow. So game 5 tomorrow night, uh, again, you know, a lot of people like to look at it, hey, what have you done for me lately? Right now, the Golden Knights, they did what they're supposed to do. The same conversation that we had last Thursday and Friday. Colorado did what they were supposed to do, winning those two games. And, uh, you know, Golden Knights had their backs up against the wall, and they need to win Friday. They got it done. They won convincingly yesterday, so we're now tied at two. But let's remember, Colorado is undefeated at home in these playoffs Okay, won their first two against St. Louis, went on the road, you know, dusted them. They were well-rested, beat the Golden Knights in games one and two of this series. So they're 4-0 in the postseason. And more importantly, this team usually doesn't lose uh, at home, even during the regular season. They were 24-4-2 at home during the regular season. So they are going to show up. The Golden Knights, 
they're going to have to show up and win this game on the road. And like you said, and we've said before, it's like, you know, the series really starts when the visiting team gets it. And now it's a best two out of three. That's what it is right now. So, uh, you know, the home teams could continue to win and Colorado would win this series. But uh, the team that breaks through on the, on the visitor's ice. The team advantage. that breaks the ice is what you're saying? Yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs> and tomorrow night, uh, don't forget, uh, Sunset Station, we've got the VGK uh, watch party. Our good friend Brian Blessing is hosting with uh, Chuck Esposito out at Sunset Station, Club Madrid, tomorrow night, Game 5. It's going to be wild. All kinds of great stuff, great giveaways, food, drink specials. So make sure you go out there and check that out. I'm going to go check it out tomorrow night. Uh, uh, support uh, Brian as well as Chuck Esposito and just a great atmosphere there at Club Madrid. Yeah, head on down there. Um, you know, it, It's a nice environment. They're going to have the game on all over, have some giveaways for you as well. So it, it's a fun time. You kind of get to know people a little bit. And right now, see the hottest thing going on in Vegas outside of the temperature outside, which is actually cooling down this week a little bit for a couple of days. But, uh, but yeah, the, the Vegas Golden Knights and, uh, you know, Stanley Cup playoff hockey. And I know some people are saying it's a shame that uh, this is a second-round matchup. As long as we're getting to see it, isn't that what it's really all about? I mean, this is the matchup that everybody wanted to see that's a hockey fan, and we're seeing it right now. I think Vegas has the momentum. Momentum, momentum can shift rapidly in this game as we know yeah and and to your point with that i mean you know this is i don't want to call it a rivalry but when you you know play a team eight times during the course of the season and that's a little bit odd for this year as we know it's never been done before yeah yeah, maybe since the original six yeah yeah, 14 (laughs) times playing minnesota i mean that's crazy but you know when you look at at this it will be a little bit of a letdown if you face montreal Again, you know, there's some great history there and this and that, but you know, Gold Knights in Montreal, just not. Nah, it's it's different. And you know, when well, you Nick play, Suzuki will be back in town. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but but yeah, I think you're right. It, it will be a little bit of a letdown. I think most people probably consider Colorado to be you know better than Montreal. Well, and the other thing too is you're going to be. It's going to be completely different vibe because all of a sudden you're the team with everything to lose because they're going to be a huge favorite against the four seeded Canadians from the north. Right, right. You know, Montreal wasn't supposed to be here. They're playing with house money. They're probably a couple years ahead of schedule. Yeah. Nick Suzuki's one of their biggest stars. Uh, Carey Price is good, but maybe not that elite goalie that he used to be out there. Vegas will be hugely the favorite. And this one here, it's a coin flip. Yeah. And that one there, it's like 90%. You better win this thing. Are you looking ahead already? I'm, I'm just saying, Colorado or Vegas, either one will be a huge favorite yeah. over the Canadians. Yeah. yeah, and would expect uh, either one of those teams to defeat Montreal. And by the well. way, you think people are complaining about the 6 o'clock start times? How about a game in Montreal? Yeah. Better get ready to uh, get off work at 3 o'clock for those road games. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, when we come back, we talk a little NBA playoffs. B.J. Armstrong, the former Chicago Bull, the former player, the three-time champion, the executive, the broadcaster, he joins us as we talk about what we saw over the weekend and we look ahead to round two. I got something for you. Here's the man, the myth. The oracle has spoken. The mouth. You hear me talking? T.C. Martin. Just a wonderful time of year, isn't it, huh? Here we are in June, and we've got winter playoffs. We got we got hockey, the NBA, second round series galore. A lot of excitement, as we've talked about here in Vegas with the Golden Knights. But the NBA is heating up uh, as well, too. And let's bring in our good friend, the point guard, B.J. Armstrong. What's going on, my man? Oh, man, I can't complain. I can't complain, man. How you guys doing? It's beautiful. It's springtime. A little NBA basketball. I'm in seventh heaven right now. I can't complain about anything. There it is. Pop it up for B.J. B.J., he's got the head bobbing right now. There you go. <laughs> What's going on, man? What are you doing? You cruising L.A.? You might as well roll down the windows, man. We got the jams going. Oh, man, you got more than the jams, man. You are the jam right now. Yeah! That's beautiful. That song just brings a smile to my face every time I hear it. You know, Numchuck has made that your uh, uh, your official theme song here on the program. So there it is. Absolutely. You know? I love that song. I love that song. It's, uh, it's one of my favorites. So, uh, no, it's all good. All good. All right, man. So uh, let's talk about... 
what happened in, in, in L.A. at the Staples Center yesterday. The Clippers defeat the Mavericks 126-111. It was the first time the home team has won in this series. I think a lot of people are thinking, okay, let's, let's keep this trend alive. Let's uh, see if Dallas could do this. But uh, finally the Clippers said, nah, en- enough of this nonsense. And they let Dallas hang around for about a half. Well, not even really a half. And uh, they were just too much down the stretch. What were your thoughts, BJ, when you are watching that game yesterday? Yeah, what a strange series. You know, no team up until game seven that the home team won on its home court. So it was a, it, it was a strange series. You saw some phenomenal individual performances led by Kawhi Leonard. You know, Kawhi Leonard over, uh, you know, in particular game six and game seven, without question, he looked like the best player in the NBA. And the one thing that I respected more than anything about Kawhi Leonard over this past series was he went into desperation mode and he played as if he didn't want to go home. And I respect that. You know, sometimes when you make a playoff run or you make a a deep run in the playoffs and you win a championship, every championship, you know, run, you always have a series where that series is going to push you to your limit and push you to your brink. And what I appreciate about Kawhi Leonard was he said and he showed that he wasn't ready to go home yet when he got pushed to that moment. This could be a turning moment for the L.A. Clippers. So I respect what they did. They had to reach down. It was a bad matchup for them for whatever the reason may have been. But give them credit. Give Kawhi Leonard credit. They reached down, dug down deep, and found a way to win when uh, it was looking bleak for them, to say the least. No, you're right. I mean, Kawhi with 28 points yesterday, 10 rebounds, 9 assists, 4 steals. I mean, a complete game. This guy isn't just a scorer. I mean, he contributes on both ends of the floor as well, too. And again, he can be a rebounding machine. And we saw him dish out 9 assists again. But then you look over at Luka Doncic. I mean, another 40-plus point game for him. He ended up with 48 yesterday. And he had 14 assists. And, you know, Porzingis played pretty big as well, too. A lot of those assists went to him. But, you know, Luka is, is phenomenal, but it just it just doesn't work out for this team. Uh, you know, we've seen this before where, you know, the guy has these type of games, but they, it doesn't result in, in victories here. And uh, I really like watching this Dallas team, but, but at times, BJ, they can be very, very frustrating to watch. Well, you know, Dallas uh... – you know, you're talking about Luka Doncic. Without question, Luka Doncic now is a a superstar. He's a star of stars. You look at the numbers he's putting up, and you go, wow. I mean, he's putting up 40 points consistently. He plays in big moments. He never shines. He never shies away when the lights are bright. He's been incredible to watch. However, you know, we got to ask ourselves, with this talent that we have now with Luka Doncic, what's the expectations with this team? And right now – they seem to can't get out of the first round. And, you know, that's gonna that's a concern right now because we know they have a, you know, a top player. And now where is that responsibility going to lie? Is it the personnel? Is it the coaches? So forth and so on. Is it Luka Doncic? I don't know at the particular time, but what I do know is that Luka Doncic, if he can stay healthy, he is a star. He can score the basketball. And this organization, the Dallas Mavericks, is going to have to figure it out What's the right combination to get for him so that he can advance? Because we could all use a little bit more of Luka. Because Luka is a fun player to watch. I mean, he is terrific. He's an excellent player. He is an amazing offensive talent. And uh, you know what? He, He looks like he's an MVP caliber player for many years to come. Yeah, I love watching this team offensively. But what makes me sick about it is the defensive end, and that's why they lost this series. And that's why they got they got they got drilled yesterday. They gave up, you know, uh, the Clippers shot fifty percent from the field and forty six percent from uh, the three point arc. They the Clippers hit twenty threes yesterday. I think they went twenty for forty three. I mean, that is insane. I mean, you've got to play D, and that's what's, what's keeping this team from advancing because offensively, they're fine. They can could, they could light it up. But defensively, they are a struggle, and, they, and it seems like for a, a team that has a couple seven-footers, I mean, they get out-rebounded in the most you know, uh, crucial times. Well, you're absolutely right. And, I mean, that's the obvious, you know, without – you know, you don't, you, you, you don't want to, like, start, like, just nitpicking with this team because give them credit. Um, you know, they did get to the playoffs. They weren't expected to 
go to seven games. But if there's a glaring weakness with this team is on the defensive end. And anytime your team in a game seven starts off the beginning of the game, not during the course of the game, at the beginning of the game in a two, three zone, then you know you have problems on the defensive end. So they, I think they've also conceded to the fact that they can't defend. And as you know, we've heard this for, you know, for, for eons. If you're going to be good, if you're going to win, you're going to have to be, at the very minimum, respectable on the defensive end. Well, this team right now is still trying to figure out who they are on the defensive end because right now they are, without question, not a very good defensive team. You know, BJ, for years uh, in basketball, everybody's always talked about your offense can kind of come and go, but defense is just about effort, and you can bring that every night. If you're a team that isn't a very good defensive team, how do you become one? Because defense is the one thing that uh, should pretty much be consistent in your game from game in and game out, from team to team, series to series. Well, I, I think the one thing that when you start talking about winning and you, and that becomes the focus of any team or any organization, then there's only really one way to do it, okay? You can have individual talents like, you know, offensively, you can, you know, you can work on that skill set. You can work on your passing. You can work on ball handling. But there's one thing that you do as a team, right? And you are only as, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And defensively, you need everyone. The five players that's on the floor, the coaches, the guys on the bench, everyone to buy in that we are going to maximize two things, effort and energy every single night. And that requires a commitment from everyone on the team because you're absolutely right. You can't depend on shooting well every single night. But what you can do is say, we are going to give the effort and energy necessary to be a good team. And that's a commitment in and of itself, right? Everyone talks a good game. Everyone says they want to win, but who is going to pay the effort? And that starts with just, I'm going to commit myself to the energy necessary to be a good defensive player. Now, there are some players that have physical gifts. You can't teach what Kawhi Leonard does. You can't teach what Rudy Gobert does. You can't teach what some of these players like a Draymond Green. They just have physical gifts. But what you can do is you can make a commitment to that side of the ball. Because if you're going to win, you're going to have to get a stop. And that, to me, is just a mindset. So I think that just starts with every day. You build good habits. Good ha- you can build good habits. You can also build bad habits. So building a good habit is we're going to at least give the energy necessary to be a good defensive team, and then you can build from there. B.J. Armstrong joins us, the former three-time NBA champion with the Bulls, talking a little NBA playoffs. So, B.J., was, we talk, have this conversation all the time with uh, both of our good friends, the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, and he is – and myself as well, too, I'll say this, get very, very frustrated. And I'm curious to see what you know where you're at with this because you guys played not only the same team, you played in that same era and everything, but to, to look at the style of play that we are seeing in the NBA, it's, it's very frustrating to see the lack of defense. We're seeing 43 threes uh, you know, launched by these teams, uh, way too many. Uh, the turnovers are, are a plenty, and just the style of basketball that we're seeing. Uh, is it frustrating for you to see this type of play, or you just kind of say, well, you know, that's just the way it is now? Well, you know, I think, you know, evolution is part of life, right? You know, change is part of the deal. And I'm very interested in, you know, how the game evolves. So I see – what we turned, we went through the small ball era. But all of a sudden, now if you look around, the bigs are coming back. You see Jokic, you see Rudy Gobert, you see Joel Embiid, you see DeAndre Ayton. You're seeing the impact of bigs because the bigs were the kind of the last player or the last person on the team to really figure out how to be incorporated into this new brand of basketball. So in the end, for me, the even though we're talking about all these things that change, some things never change. Defense never change. All good, te- all good teams in this league will defend. All good teams will share the basketball with one another. All the good teams will communicate. So even though it may appear to be different, when you pull it back and you pull the curtains back, it's really the same. Okay? You know, you look at Golden State. They got all this accolades for being the three, top three-point shooting team. But in the end... Steve Kerr and company 
they were a good defensive team. The Lakers, they were a good defensive team. And if you're going to win, whoever wins it this year, they're going to be a good defensive team. They're going to share the basketball. They're going to give maximum effort, you know, on both sides of the ball. And most importantly, they're going to be able to communicate with each other so that they can give themselves a chance to win. Now, it may look different. They may take 43s. They may do all of those things. But in the end, they're going to run a need play. And more times than not, that player is probably going to get a mid-range shot or any shot that they can get at the end of the game to seal the game. So I get it. It sounds good, but in the end, Kawhi Leonard, we saw him get to the mid-range. We saw Luka Doncic and these guys create offense and defense and do the things they had to do, and that's the game of basketball. So even though it may look a little different, it's still the same when you're talking about championship caliber basketball. That will never change. Yeah, and what is gone definitely are those games that we have seen, like when you played games in the 80s and even the 90s, but even you know yesterday – uh, Donich had had 48 points. Uh, you know, Dallas ended up with 111, and the Clippers. Yeah, they they played some better D, but the, the high scoring uh, here yesterday again. We look at the Atlanta game. I mean, they put 74 up at halftime, 74, and this isn't the first time we've seen teams that have you know come close to 80 in the first half, and we routinely see scores at, you know, around 65, 68 at halftime, and Atlanta jumps out. To a seventy-four to fifty-four lead at halftime. I mean, that is 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 still strange and hard to comprehend from a a, a playoff basketball game. Yeah, it, it is. And you know, give the Atlanta Hawks credit; they have terrific spacing on the floor. And you you can hear these terms, right? Pace and space. Well, they have a player in Trey Young right now who is dictating the pace of the game. And by the way, this guy shoots literally from the half-court line. So when he and that team, they are hitting threes, they're a tough team to beat because they can dictate the pace of the game, which you need from your lead guard or whoever your, your, your initiator of your offense is. He does that exceptionally well. And then when he's shooting with the range, now it extends the defense. So, you know, the three-point shot, without question, is a weapon that deserves respect now because – these players are beginning to shoot with distance with such accuracy that you have to extend your defense. And when they are making threes, because they are a good three-point shooting team, they are a problem, and you can see the problems they pose, especially when they shoot the ball with distance like they're doing. And when the ball is going in, like they say, you know, offense and making shots covers a multitude of sins. So, you know, if you're making those threes, hey, it really covers up all of the mistakes. But let's not expect them. I don't think they will shoot this way for the entire series. But when it's going in, it sure looks pretty good. You know, it's interesting, too, because I had a teacher years ago who said, statistics don't lie, but liars use statistics. And <laughs> when, you're, when you're talking about that game and you're talking about Doncic with his 48 points, I thought the key to that game was when Kawhi Leonard was on him for a stretch he kind of shut him down. Luka even missed like four straight free throws, and the Clippers went on a 22-6 to run. Although Luka had the 48 points, I thought that stretch in that game was kind of the key where there was a little bit of separation, and I don't know. It, to, to me, I thought that L.A. might have won it with that one stretch there, and we're talking about Luka and 48 points is incredible, but that stretch where he was shut down by Kawhi, to me, was kind of the key to that game. Hey, BJ, before you respond to that, let me point out that that's uh, the Illinois school system where Frank comes from. So I, I don't know how much credence I'd put into that. <laughs> well, I, I say this. Well, you know, it's the NBA and everyone's going to make a run. And the beautiful thing about the NBA is the 48-minute game. That's, it's a long game. So it's important that you play with the level of consistency in order to win that game because you're absolutely right. You know, you make a run, you make your run too early – well, it's 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 pretty, you know, it's a pretty good call that the other team is going to make a run at some point during the course of the game. So, I, I think what makes the NBA game a little different than all the other games is that you have to sustain this over a forty-eight minute period. And Kawhi Leonard, he just he kept grinding the game out. I thought defensively, they just grinded the Dallas Mavericks out. They just grinded it to the to the point where. You know what? The offense of the Dallas Mavericks was very simple. Get the ball to Luka and let him create. Well, he did it for probably 40 minutes of the game, but in that eight-minute stretch, that was that was the difference in the game. 
And that's what makes the NBA game, you know, such a beautiful game, is you got to continue it for such a long period of time that it's impossible really to just, like, say, hey, we had a, a good first quarter, a good second quarter, you know, which makes it a little different than, you know, collegiate basketball or high school basketball where you're playing, you know, in shorter periods, you know, 32 minutes or 40 minutes at, like they do in college. All right, B.J. Armstrong joins us. Sorry, B.J., tonight we've got a couple games here as we uh, look at one game in the East and one game in the West. Uh, we've got a game two with Milwaukee and the Nets. And, you know, look what the, the Nets did. They've been firing on all cylinders. I mean, this is a team that we're accustomed to seeing, putting up uh, 126, 135, 140 a game. And uh, tonight uh, they will play without James Harden. And as I'm looking at the, the, the betting board, which we always look at here in Las Vegas, the Milwaukee Bucks are a one-point road favorite. And that's because yep. Harden got injured in this game. Tell us how the Nets will look tonight without James Harden. Well, you know, they're going to rely on their big two. And those are a big two that they're going to have an advantage, in particular on the offensive end, doesn't matter who they face. You're talking about Kevin Durant and you're talking about Kyrie Irving. I mean, those guys are, you know, they're elite offensive talents. They are a problem. They are going to require a team to, a team to defend them. I think, you know, I think, you know, Milwaukee, this is a desperate game for them. And... I think they have to win this game if they're going to win this series or they're going to continue to compete because if they can beat the Milwaukee Bucks minus James Harden, I think that's a huge confidence builder for the Brooklyn Nets moving forward, knowing that they can, you know, win. Even though in game one they won, you know, they they kind of like – it was kind of a shocking thing to the Milwaukee Bucks. I think now Milwaukee knows – what they have to do, I think, you know, they, they could have got they could have been, you know, a little starstruck at the beginning of game one. But I think now they should settle in. Their best player, Giannis, we need him to play big. I don't expect him to have two mediocre games. I expect him to have one of those Giannis games that we've come to expect, 30, 40 points. And then for them to win this, win this game here. I think this is going to be a, gr- a great series. I, don't, I expect it to go six or seven games. But for Milwaukee, and their mental well-being, this is an important game for them. If they go down 0-2, I think you know, Brooklyn will probably get one game there in Milwaukee and then go back home to look to close that out. So I want to ask you about playing without Harden. And we've seen this team play without their superstars before, without Durant for a period of time, without Kyrie Irving for quite a bit of time, and, and even Harden as well, too. When you've got like the big three here – and you know you got a guy like Harden who sometimes does dominate the ball. This may sound a little bit strange to people, but sometimes you look at them, and when he's off the floor, sometimes things flow a little bit better. So does does this really hurt Brooklyn, or how much does it really hurt him without having Harden on the floor tonight, but still having Durant and Kyrie Irving and the other pieces that they have, especially inside? Well, you know, when Kevin Durant and Kyrie are going, you know, things are going to look you know, normal as far as how the game and the flow of the game will occur because those guys can carry a game themselves. I mean, those guys are terrific. However, there's in every series, in every game, there's going to be a stretch where the offense is not going to work, uh, the play calling is not going to work, and it's going to be chaotic on the floor. And that's where the great players live. When the offense doesn't work, you can throw the ball to James Harden and he can make a play where there's nothing going on. So having another player, you know, having the luxury of having a player like a a Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant, that's beautiful. And by the way, they also have James Harden. So they have three players who can play in the chaos. Because, you know, when you play with a guy like a Jordan, he makes a play where there is no play. He makes a shot where there is no shot. You know, you play good defense, but it's better offense. And that's where the great players live. That's why they're great. So I think they will miss him. When all else fails, you know, the coaches will draw up a play and the play doesn't work, and all of a sudden James Harden has that ability to go outside of the offense and make a play when it seems like, you know, there's nothing there. So they will miss him. How much will depend on how successful the other two will be because those guys, you know, they could go on a tangent for 50, 60 points at any given moment. 
You know, it seems like in this day and age we talk about offense all the time, and I guess it's always been that way in sports and certainly in basketball. But you mentioned before that usually championship teams also have that defensive prowess where they can make the big stop or they can go through a stretch and shut down a team. One of the knocks in Brooklyn from some people is that they don't play that great a team defense. Are they good enough team defensive-wise that you could see them being the champions when all is said and done? That is the million-dollar question my friend, because that's what everyone is wondering. You're saying, you know they have enough offense to win it, but defensively, can they be respectable? And at the beginning of the season, they were really bad on the defensive end. To their credit, they're much better than they were you know, earlier in the season. And if they continue to improve or they're respectable here in the playoffs, it's going to be very hard to shut all three of those guys down provided that they're all healthy. It's going to be hard to shut down Kyrie and KD in the same game. And as long as they can remain a respectability on the defensive end, I think they can. They have the ingredients to win a championship because they can score. Now, again, that's a big if, but if you're going to win, you have to be more than respectable because at some point during the course of this playoff run, every weakness that you have as a team will be exposed and right now, if they do have a glaring weakness to their team, talking about the Brooklyn Nets, it's defensively. Can they be consistent enough to allow their offensive players that have the advantage that they have on that end by not letting the defense get so out of control that they can't control the other team to 110 or 120 points, whatever is necessary to win that game? All right, BJ, real quick, Denver and Phoenix tonight. Looking forward to this. Game one out west. Who do you got? The Phoenix Suns. I, I, I'm going to get, I, you know, Chris Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan, you know, I'm a huge fan of guards. Chris Paul and his leadership has been magnificent. You know, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, you know, we got, uh, you know, Coach Monty Williams out there. So I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, but, you know, Jokic, he's probably going to be the MVP this year. But I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns. Chris Paul, you know, that's going to be hard to uh, to go against him right now. Jokic over my man Steph Curry? Are you is you calling Jokic over Steph? Come on, I'm man. I'm calling Jokic. I'm calling Jokic all day. His ability, his availability this year. You know what? What he was able to do minus Jamal Murray, I might add. Okay, for him to beat Damian Lillard in the playoffs, Damian Lillard has probably the game of, you know, one of the best individual performances we've seen. Fifty-five and over ten assists, and for him to continue to just keep plowing through. I mean, he just keeps going. And uh, without question, in my mind, if I had to vote, Jokic is the MVP this year. All right, my man. Hey, appreciate uh, the knowledge. Appreciate the time. As always, great breakdown. And uh, we'll talk to you hopefully later this week, my man. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks again. Appreciate it. There is BJ Armstrong bringing it strong. The former three-time champ with the Bulls, also front office executive, also uh, had a great uh, time with ESPN as a broadcaster as well, too. Love uh, hearing from BJ. And probably not breaking news or a big surprise, but he kind of likes the guard play. Yes, of course. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Us shooters like to shoot. Well, That's a, it. He was a pretty good one himself. Yeah, he was a good one. Good distributor, too. All right, Marco D'Angelo is going to join us on the other side. We'll recap a Belmont Stakes on Saturday and also talk a little bit more NBA VGK coming your way. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you on this Manic Monday.